listener. Oh, whatever. Man. <laughs> Got a real parent with us today, guys. <laughs> and Faye, you're coming too this Hello, time. Hello, I hey. guess. <laughs> uh, hush up. You guys are on cloud nine with me. Um, hi, everybody. This is the Wheel of Time Show by the Wheel of Time Show, a podcast that goes episode by episode through the Wheel of Time television series that's released on Amazon Prime. My name is Garrett Schultz, and with me today is... <sighs> Adam Diaz. And... <laughs> Faye, hello. Hi, everyone. Uh, anyway, we're the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show, or more commonly referred to as Tawata Twats. We just watched the season finale of season one, season one, episode eight, titled The Eye of the World. And it was definitely not what any of us expected to have happen at all. Just listen to Adam Sigh right now. Oof. <sighs> Listener, that is beer number 14 for him, actually. <laughs> Oh, he's oh, that's a long. He's he is not stopping. No. Oh my God. He's he got just, all the other like cans just taped to his hands. His fingers <laughs> are inside the holes on the cans. He's wearing them like Edward Scissor can thing. Edward Scissor cans is way better than Edward Forty hands. <laughs> it really Edward Scissor cans. All right, so once again, season finale of of uh, season one, and it was titled "The Eye of the World," which is the same title as book one of the Wheel of Time series. Wait, hold on, guys. Before we get further into this episode, where do we want to be? To match my mood and my general outlook on the series and how I felt about this episode, can you put me at the bottom of the world's butthole at the Eye of the World? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll put you in the bottom of the Sarlacc pit. Uh, <laughs> Let's just combine all the sci-fi and fantasy shows here. Mm-hmm. All right, and here we go. Yeah. Wow, this place really smells. Mm-hmm. This feels yeah. about right. Yeah. <laughs> the dark ones taint. Ah, that smells like the dark ones taint down, down here. Yep. <laughs> yep, for sure. All right, so let's dig into this. Uh, who wants to jump in here? Tell me the first scene that you want to talk about, how it made you feel. Okay. I want to briefly talk about Age of Legends, which is the cold open that they had, because it was cool to see. It really was cool to see. I appreciated it. It was minimalist along with Futurist at the same time, too. I made a Coruscant joke while we were in there. I just made a Back to the Future 2 joke while we were there, too. Anytime you're going to see a flying car, Blade Runner, anytime you see a flying car, I'm going to say some dumb sci-fi thing. But um, it was I thought Jetsons, like, as soon as I saw it, actually. Damn it! (laughs) God damn. I did think Jetsons before we actually started recording. <laughs> One thing do I hate is the fucking Age of Legends like business suits that they're wearing. They're like wearing blazers uh, the whole time, and it makes them look like Luz Theron Telemann looked cool. He's Dragon One, you know, for everybody, or Dragon Zero, I guess. Dragon for, uh, Prime. Yeah, exactly. Dragon Knot. The woman that he was with, who I am not familiar with, I don't know if that's an actual uh, person from the canonical age. character. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. She's wearing like an '80s jacket that you would see on the on the album art for Huey Lewis and the News record. But Another Back to the Future reference. Shoulder That's pads and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I I get it now because you know we see the the man who's presumably you know the dark one wearing the same outfit, and I was like, oh, it's because you're from the 
like, you know, the last time you were around, it was the Age of Legends. Mm -hmm. Not to get any spoilery in the books, but there is an outfit that is given to people later on in the series. And this is almost exactly how I pictured it. Really? So if they decide to reuse it, um, and Garrett, you can bleep this word, but they have a specific uniform that they wear. And when reading it, it's described very similar to what we see the dragon and what we see, what we think is the dark one. So I'm like, huh, that's actually kind of a cool detail they included. Um, and that's about as optimistic as I got this episode. <laughs> now, now that you're, now that you said the word that I'm bleeping again, is it like the high collar thing that really kind of did it for you then? It's like high collar. They wear all black. Yeah. Um, they have like this double breasted effect to it where it's like completely like folded over and they have their crest based off of their rank because mm-hmm. they have different ranks. But yeah, when I saw that, I was like, they really focused on that pin on the dragon. And I was like, is that like his personal crest? Because it doesn't really look like a dragon. It looks like the dragon's fangs. It kind of looks like that. But mm-hmm. like, is, he, is it supposed to be like an emblem that you're wearing when you're in the military that denotes your rank? So when I saw sure. that, I had a bunch of different questions in my head. And when I saw the full outfit, I was like, huh. That kind of strikes true for me, but it's something where it's like for the, you know, normal viewer, the uninitiated, who knows? You know, it's just going to be something that's just passed off super quickly. The only other thing that is interesting from the Age of Legends, in my opinion, with their garb was that apparently all the channelers had like this almost brass, brass knuckle, yeah. Um, yeah. you yeah. know, effect that they had on their hands. It very much looked like Doctor Strange's ring for creating portals or whatever, so... It was uh, kind of an odd thing to see. I was just like, is this something that was denoting that you were a channeler back in the day? Is Maybe not denoting. Aes Sedai? Maybe not denoting, but much like how uh, Third Age Aes Sedai have the ring with whatever right. stone inside there. Maybe this was like the Age of Legends analog to their Tarvalon ring or something like that. You know, I didn't it could think have been I their didn't... cell phone. I mean, I'm sure they had those back in the day if they had flying cars. No, they only had the flying cars. They had the meal all in the one pill that Judy always burns the toast (laughs) on. And and then no cell phones because they didn't think about them back then. Spacely Sprockets, listeners. Spacely Sprockets. Yeah, I saw the Spacely Sprocket Tower in the background (laughs) during that flying car scene. Faye does not know what we're talking about at all. Not at all. This is what being born in the 80s gets you kids. (laughs) Yes, it does. The only thing about this scene was I thought we were going to get a different scene. And because the only time we see the Age of Legends in book one is a totally different scene in the prologue. And so I was not expecting this scene. I mean, it it was fine. Like, whatever. I was like, okay, this is great. But it was not the scene that I was expecting. And... For the people who have read the books, you know what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I do want to talk about the pacing on this episode kind of first and foremost because, holy shit, this was all over the place. And I feel like it was a very, very, very forced sense of urgency that was placed upon things. There's no time limit for Rand and Moraine to get to the Eye of the World with the exception of, like, the Dark One's armies are stirring. And then at the same time, we have the Trolloc army led by the Mirandrals coming down into Tarwin's Gap that needed to be defended and I don't know it just it just seemed very weird and we kept cutting back and forth to a lot of different things I agree with you and I I feel like the problem here was that I get the sense of urgency you know we're at the end of the season we want to see things happen quickly and escalate like I get that I just felt like they spent time on things that like didn't need to have time spent on I guess you could say Mm -hmm. and then they unnecessarily speeded things up that I felt like we should have spent a little bit more time on I mean we can get to this, you know, when we get to this, but like the battle I felt like could have been more exciting. It was very, I think this was the problem for me with this entire episode is that the theme of this episode for me was, it was just anticlimactic. Everything was kind of like, 
we're building up, we're building up, we're building up. Yeah. Oh, and now we're just being let down. And it was the same thing. It was like the battle. They were very much building it up to be this like Helm's Deep. And, you know, Helm's Deep is super exciting. We get to spend a lot of time with the characters and all the fighting. And we just didn't get that. We got like, you know, I, I feel like maybe in total, like a minute and a half of of fighting. And then we get this sense of like, okay, well, we have all these people coming into the, you know, it, into the city and they're trying to steal a Horn of Villiers. And we get that for maybe like 20 seconds. And we don't understand the like significance at all of this horn. Like mm-hmm. why are like, people Why are you supposed it? to even care? The, right. care what, you don't know what the fuck the horn exactly. is. Like, you're exactly. introduced to the horn and then you're told like, oh, it's for the heroes, the, the thread, da 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 da. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it gets stolen. And like the thing that really, really bothered me about this episode, and it starts happening near the beginning, like Faye said, is it's just bouncing all over the place. And because of that, each thread, and of which there were a lot of threads, never has enough time to build. And as soon as it starts to build, you get interest, it cuts to something else that immediately slams the brakes on Mm -hmm. whatever you were just watching. Like this reminded me, no joke, of episode one. And I don't mean episode one of Wheel of Time, I mean episode one of Star Wars. Yeah, it's it's like super Star Wars. What the fuck is happening? It's Mm -hmm. just like every thread going on in that movie cut from one to the other to the other to the other, and you're watching it, you're like, you can't get connected to anything. Mm-hmm. The thing that episode one did right is when that Pod fucking racers. dude struck his double edge lightsaber, you're like, okay, cool, let's do this. But when Rand is finally confronting the dark one, it's like still cutting to Perrin being right. mopey emo Perrin. Like, I could give two shits about Perrin <laughs> with what they've done to his character at this point. Like, I don't want to hear any more of his crybaby bullshit. I just don't. Like, the fact that Loyal is infinitely more interesting in that scene when it's just like, speed up your talking, I get the bit. It's just <laughs> so fucking frustrating. And I know we're kind of bouncing around. Loyal, uh, and we're Loyal not is really more interesting than Perrin in the fact that he got fucking stabbed. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, at least something happened to him, right? At least, yeah, at least no, something but happened. I, I get your sense. Like, there is a way to do this. And I understand that there are lots of storylines going on. But you're right. Like, I think the problem was they never told a like nice storyline and spent enough time because I do think that you could have jumped around to all these stories but we should have spent like five minutes doing each thing instead of 30 seconds for every single story yeah I feel like the writers probably kind of knew that this one was going to be tough to put together because of any episode this felt most like the first one and the first one I feel like we all had the most complaints about because it was very disjointed because the group wasn't together it was fractured and if they were like well let's disjoint them all over again to make it like a wheel of the beginning is the end is the beginning should not have fucking done that because this was just because they shit on my face the first episode doesn't mean they need to do it in the eighth episode to bring it back around yeah i disagree with you in the fact that they like knew this won't be difficult to put together they had a fucking blueprint they chose to ignore that blueprint is called the eye of the world it's a book written by robert jordan which if you watched this as the first episode if someone came to you and said hey you should watch wheel of time and you go oh my god i read the books i love it and you said like let me let me watch season one episode eight I'm going to jump to the end. You'd watch, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Literally nothing (laughs) in this episode at all makes any sense compared to what happens except for some of the names and the locations. And they're so far removed. Based off all these small changes they wanted to make, they have to wrap it up. And you get to the end, you're like, well, we can't really wrap it up because it doesn't make any fucking sense anymore. And this is the fear that so many people had with all these small changes they make is like, What's this going to lead us to? What it leads us to is a disjointed, confused, anticlimactic season one, episode eight, season finale, which if you're a non-book reader, how the fuck are you excited about next season? Like, what are you like sitting here like, 
okay, cool. Like that happened. I didn't get the action scene that I thought I was going to get. I didn't get the last battle because we have yet another fucking red herring because they just have this massive hard on for red herrings in the series. Drink, like, drink. <sighs> I will drink. Someone talk. Um, let's talk about this episode kind of like in yeah. a more, I think, like coherent way, less like how Rafe did it. But, so I would propose like let's talk about this battle scene with like Lord Agomar, his sister, Egwene and Nynaeve. So I thought that this was going to be a really exciting scene, right? Because you get this scene, like you said before, Adam, where like Agamar's talking to his sister and I don't think she's ever named, unfortunately, um, where they talk about like, hey, you know, these Trollocs are coming. This is not a winnable battle. We get this sense that it's going to be built up like Helm's Deep. And I got really excited. I was like, okay, great. We're going to have this huge battle to end season one. It's going to be great. And then we're just kind of let down because... We have, you know, you see everyone starting to defend the wall, right, in the same way that they do in Helm's Deep. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool. The Trollocs should come in. The Trollocs should come in. They're climbing up the wall. We're going to watch some epic battle scenes. And then Lord Agomar gets killed after, like, two seconds. He's also <laughs> the only Shinarian that you see die. Like, as like it's it's all implied. Like, you know, the, the leader falls. Everybody else does. I, I honestly didn't really need to see too much more of the Trollocs breaching the fucking four foot high Mario wall that is uh, <laughs> that is in between these two. Why are your arrow slots so wide that a fucking Trolloc can bash into it with an axe and crawl through 10 feet up? There's no point in having a fucking wall. Like it has a bunch of doors for them to run through. Like the wall fell and it literally doesn't fall because it's not a wall. Yeah. And like Faye said, this dude's supposed to be the leader. He fired off two arrows, then took a spear to the chest, which he just fucking scooched to your right, dog. Like, he can only aim so far straight in front of him. <laughs> like, it's just, it was like he gave up. And it made me give up on the whole, like, tension that I was supposed to have about caring about this character. And book, please, woo-woo, he doesn't fucking die. <laughs> like, yeah. he's just there. Like, the fact they decide, like, ah, yeah, let's just send him to this wall and have everyone fucking die. I'm just like... What is happening right now? Yeah. Why? Why is this changing? It's effectively inconsequential, too. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm curious if the listener at any point felt like this Trolloc army that's coming down here with the Mirdral, they, they just kept saying numbers. They were like, oh, wow, there's 60 Mirdral, so that means there's at least like 5,000 of these things. And then they go, there's 10. Wait, no, 20,000. Wait, you fucking doubled 10,000 just like that? And she says 20,000 as 10 of them walk through the front door of the wall. Yeah. Like, she sees right. the entirety of the army in the fucking dark. And, of course, you have five women here, which, did anybody go against the odds? They're gonna die. There's no way that they can do this. Some did fucking anyone gonna... think if they could do this, just put them on the fucking wall yeah. and have them do that anyways? You and know, maybe, maybe like save it the fucking... happened in the fucking book? <laughs> God <laughs> damn it. The problem here was, like, I mean, the Trollocs are all CGI, right? Like, maybe one or two of them is, like, a dude with, like, a lot of makeup on if you really need to, like, get up close. Did anybody feel like there were actually 20,000 Trollocs? No, I'm pretty sure the one guy was the one they blew up because that looks super real. Those are definitely human entrails, but... (laughs) Jesus. Let's switch because I think, you know, we started talking about these women. This was actually a really cool scene, and I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I I know you did love this, Adam, but I liked the fact that we show these women linking Mm -hmm. um, because we don't see this a ton. We don't see, like, how the power can be, like, increased if you have a bunch of people work together. Like, it's not like we're just adding them. It's actually multiplied. And we know that, you know, Lord Agamal's sister isn't a very powerful channeler because we know that she's not... She was not a full Aes Sedai. She was just accepted and then she had to leave the tower. Sorry. Her name, by the way, is Lady Amalisa. I think 
her and Moraine said it. I'm just inserting that so like we're we're all on the same page with it. Yeah, I wrote her name down because like we don't get her name very often or no. you know, like once no, maybe. No. Anyway. Well, I mean, honestly, that's something that bothers me about like how this character is handled is you can tell this is handled in a way where it's the showrunners and the producers deciding they're going to handle it. And for a series that's about empowering women, giving them names, giving them agency, she's literally referred to more often by Lord Agomar's sister than her fucking name. And it's just another example of they don't get what Wheel of Time is, and it bothers me so goddamn much. I think they do at that point because even though they're not naming her, they're making her the underdog. Is like by making her the That's sister such of horseshit though. Like yeah. you gotta make everyone an underdog by treating them like shit and not giving them their own name. Like she's supposed to be royalty. The only person that should call her my sister is Lord Agomar, but it's like you never hear anyone say her name but Moraine. And it's just, I don't know, it just doesn't fucking work. It's just, she doesn't feel like a Wheel of Time character to me. She feels like someone they brought in to serve the purpose of this new made up scene and to show off linking, which they do not do well. Like the scene where they sever Loghain's bond with the one source to me makes more sense with the linking because it, it makes more sense. And this one, she initiates the link. She's like, oh, when I channel through you, just accept it. It's like, wait, what? It's like, if, you, if someone were to tell you like, hey, my battery died in my car, let's jump it. And they told you how to do it wrong. You wouldn't be like, yeah, let's do that. Like your car would blow up, the wire would fucking fray, your battery would start to melt, whatever. But it's like, they just kind of do it however they want to, to get past the fact that Nina Eve has a block. She can't channel whenever she wants to. But because they wanted this scene, they decided like, oh, we'll ignore that. We'll make it so that linking is something where it's just 100% controlled by the person who wants to do the link. And that's just not the fucking way it works. It's like, it sets this dangerous precedent for you can force someone to link with you now. Like if you just tell them like, I'm gonna do this, you know, can you overpower them into a link? Like, I don't understand the rule changes for these arbitrary bullshit scenes. I don't. Yeah, I, I feel like the link here, it was just like an excuse to use this was like a more of a switched scene in the book. In the book, there was a horde of Trollocs coming and it was actually Rand who nukes them all to fucking hell and back. But And saves all those people mm -hmm. and they all see it happen. Which actually supports the idea of like Rand is the dragon and it's not just him that knows it now. It's that a lot of other people are like, holy shit, we saw the fucking dragon. And they put it on the girls in this, in this uh, episode honestly probably to give them something to do or to show off that they're so much more powerful compared to these other three channelers at this point but i didn't like the linking it looked cool when the button was pressed and the explosion happened and we just see trollocs exploding into several parts that i thought looked kind of cool and like lightning being called down individually was happening but i mean that's that's what i'm saying is like I don't know. I didn't feel like anybody was in remote danger at any point in time. It was like, oh, the guys are dead because we saw the leader die. We have a whole horde coming this way and they're going to employ some sort of option. The danger actually wasn't even from the fucking Trolloc and Miradral army. It was the fact that these women did not know how to control the amount of power right. that they were going to have and they were a danger to themselves. Three of them were microwaved. This was a good way to show like why Lord Agamar's sister was not a full Aes because clearly she does not have the ability to control the channeling that right. she does right. um, and to show like that you can burn out which you know again like I thought was kind of done a little bit before so maybe it didn't need to happen the problem is you're right like I didn't feel that this was consequential I felt like, oh, look, they're going to burn out. Something bad's going to happen. And then, like, oh, like, Nynaeve is, like, really, really hurt. But Egwene just kind of channels, and now Nynaeve is totally fine again. It just, like, didn't feel like I was supposed to care about anything. Like, yeah. oh, whatever happens, 
uh, these people are now protected by plot armor and they're definitely not going to die, yep. <laughs> you know? Um, I mean, I know that, like, this is not George R. R. Martin, but I very much felt like it was inconsequential. All right. Uh, welcome back. Perrin sucks. <laughs> Which sucks, because Perrin is so awesome in the books, and this is oh just gosh. such a departure. Well, especially this episode. I mean, there are scenes. Perrin was obviously who's on Antoine for, like, one of the episodes, because that was when he was, like, the most book Perrin. But, yes, I agree. He sucks this episode because he's so mopey and, mm. like, whiny. When did he, like, pledge to do the way of the leaf thing? It was just like, hey, I hung out with the Tuathawan, and it's this just is just what they do. It's just dialogue in the ways where he's like, if everyone did it, the world would be a better place. It's like, yeah. so I'm supposed to buy in that he's dedicated himself to this now? That's, my thinking was, was just check out these people that I hung out with. They don't have a horrible philosophy. I didn't get the idea that he subscribed he's, to it at he's all. He's a teenage hipster. He, he was introduced to something new, and he's like, guys, this is so cool. No one's ever seen this before. Yeah. Well, yeah, and now it's just like, oh, wait, actually, it didn't seem to work out for me, and I just, I feel like after this, he's going to be like, never mind. I don't want to do this Way of the Leaf anymore. Well, he's like, why do the Way of the Leaf when people are out there dying? We should go fight with them. It's just like, well, then go fucking fight. And he's like, but I don't want to do that either. And Loyal's like, we'll just ask somebody what you want to do, man. Here comes a knife. Oh, no. This felt to me like the fantasy, the fantasy equivalent of trying to decide where to eat. It's like, I don't want that. I don't want that either. Where it's like, then fucking pick something, man. Like, what do you want from me? Like, it's so frustrating to watch where it's just like, why Why is he doing this? Like, why not just have him go to the wall yeah. and be like, oh, I'll help, you know? Or maybe, like, they find out that this is going to happen a day early. He's like, give me a fucking hammer. I know how to make weapons. You know, yeah. do something where he's not just literally sitting on a bench so he can stand up and kick it like, I hate this. Mm -hmm. I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, that line that he said was a direct lift from the movie Predator, which we've also referenced on the show before when he goes, it's all bullshit. All of it. Which, watch Predator, everybody. Especially you, Paul. Watch Predator. God, Paul. Watch Paul. Predator. Jesus. We have a friend named Paul, and we've said watch Predator about four billion times to him, and he does not watch the movie Predator. Guys, I haven't seen Predator. Oh, my. So that's the end of the show, everyone. Bye. Hey, it's kind of the show, guys. <laughs> no, I think we just have to do an off-season watch along yeah. for, for Predator. Predator. <laughs> Seriously, Faye, watch Predator. And Paul, watch fucking Predator. Okay, so the whole thing with Perrin, he's a blacksmith by trade, which he enjoys. He loves it. He actually finds like a certain amount of um, peace and harmony and uh, meditation. Purpose. Yeah, purpose, there. In creation, he's changing something, but he's still creating something beautiful, but it's also useful. And this is his character's dilemma in the books is that he carries around an axe, which is something that he created, which it's a tool, but it's also a weapon that is used for violence. And this is where it gets very intricate as to why he's doing this kind of stuff. And in the television series, he picks up an axe here for a quick second, but he's like, he doesn't even want to lift a finger against anybody. And Patton Fane even references that like, oh, you, you chose the dark side immediately by wanting to attack me, which is implying that even all sorts defending of- Defending yourself. Yeah. yeah that, or defending that someone else is evil. All violence is dark or evil or something like that. You clocked it really early in uh, season, in episode two, where Matt gave him that dagger, um, which was like made by his wife, Layla. And he's like, oh, mm -hmm. she made this for me because she thought I'd be in trouble. And he gives it to her. You're like, maybe this is going to replace his ax yeah. because he always has that idea of like, is this a tool or is this a weapon type of thing? And then we never 
see the knife again for the rest of the season. And I was like, okay, cool. If that's a replacement to show that he's struggling with, do I use my strength to create or do I use my strength to hurt someone? It's the same idea of carrying an axe and you're going to use it to chop down wood or use it as a tool or you're going to use it to kill someone. And they just never get back to that thread at all the entire season. Which I wish they would because the blind rage that Perrin was in when he accidentally murdered his wife. Accidentally? He, I see yeah. what you did there, Garrett. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that route again. <laughs> Um, I mean, there are some redeeming qualities. One is they, you know, introduce the Horn of Valyr, which is going to be a huge thing. Um, yeah, I that's assume. like one of the of the main storylines of season two is that the Horn of Valyr is there, and also right throughout the entire series, the Horn of Valyr, which I always kind of pictured as a French horn-looking thing, um, didn't <laughs> really think that it was in a <laughs> convenience store styrofoam cooler that they had stored under right. a uh, yeah. that they. they I'm put, pretty. I'm pretty sure I clocked a Coca-Cola logo on that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'll just a lot of money if you get it refreshed. It said live bait on the side. (laughs) (laughs) The problem I think we had talked about was that, like, we don't really care right now about this horn. We're like, all right, whatever, who cares? But it seems like other people care about it, and especially Pat and Fane, who just, like, swoops in, seems to kill a bunch of people, and then swoops right back out and takes the horn with him. So Pat and Fane does have the dagger that Matt had from Shader Logoth. We didn't see how he got it, or we don't understand why he has it at this point. I'm okay with that for now. I would like that explained for everybody later. Let's put it that way. But he did have an interesting line, which brought it back more towards the pseudo-sympathetic dark friend that we had from the first bartender in Tom Marilyn's episode. Because it's all about balance. You can't have the light without the dark, and you can't have the dark without the light. And that is a philosophy that a lot of modern antagonists have. And I actually do appreciate it because the two of those together create balance and he understands it. It seems like the light side actually doesn't understand that you have to have a little bit of darkness to make sure the light stays in check. Regardless, I think he looks awesome. He has this swagger about him and it's just badass when he walks in there. The fact that he's commanding the mirror draw too, that's uh, that's a lift from the books, which I is was going to just cut him fun- before, but <laughs> I want to kind of do who's hot on twat today, if that's okay. Sure. Because today on who's hot on twat. Hot on twat is actually Pat and Fane. Controversial, controversial, I understand that. Obviously, you know, he is not made uh, in this show to be like a super attractive character, I would say. I mean, not to say that the actor is not attractive, but I think like they've made his character to not be attractive because he is a dark friend. But I, I wanna highlight here the fact that he's kind of been this like, person who's been in the background lurking only to come out and show exactly who he is now at this point. If you are not a careful watcher, you probably wouldn't have noticed him through all the different episodes that we've talked about him. Because, you know, in season one or episode one, we see him laughing as he kind of like gets out of the way while the Trollocs are attacking Eamon's Field. We see him in Tarvalon, actually, a couple times. We see him in the ways. And we realize that he is actually the person that's been tracking the party. He knows exactly what they're doing. He seems to be one step ahead of them in terms of, like, the darkness kind of trailing them and knowing exactly where they are. We don't understand, I think, at this point exactly how important Pan and Fane is to the darkness, which I think is intentional. But it's just so interesting, like, how he kind of has had his hand in the mix this entire season. So anyway, today on Who's On On Twat, it's Pat and Fane. Nice. Nice, thank you. Yeah, he's cool as shit in this episode. As far as people that have gotten a glow up 
from the books, Padden Fane is definitely at the top of that list. Mm-hmm. Because at this point in the books, he's, right next he's to like, parent, actually. Yeah, I hate you. <laughs> at this point in the books, Padden Fane is in a dungeon covered in his own filth and talking like a lunatic. And in this one, yeah. he's just like, he's still nicely dressed. He has a swagger. He's got two fades rolling with him. He just walks in, takes what he wants, talks fuck? a bunch of shit, walks right out. Still looks like he's not covered in his own filth. So he's doing a lot better in the series than he did in the book. <laughs> Speaking of brief glimpses of people, I loved Min with her hair down when she was leaving the city. Again, this episode had everything moving concurrently, so we're just kind of chunking it out as it goes here and there. So kind of back at the top of the episode, we have Moraine and Rand fucking off in the blight. A lot of goofiness happens, including in the dream that Rand has that he finds his escape route. The dark one here, he's communicating telepathically through dreams, essentially. So he's not out of his prison yet, or out of the prison yet, he's only able to influence it when you're directly close to it, which that's, I don't know. It's it's probably not exactly apparent to the casual viewer now as to what's happening. It's like, oh, this guy's here. Wait, he's not here? Oh, he's there. Oh, wait, they battled. Did they battle? What happened? I don't know. But um, I don't know. We do have a scene of Egwene and Rand and Joya, their child, in the future or in a alternate fake reality or something like that happening here. I didn't not like this. I don't think we needed to have this here. This could have been completely expedited, especially Rand being like, do you remember that one time when we were at that place and he has like a fucking 45 second explanation of, of like, I need you to prove that you're you. This is what I meant when I said at the beginning that there were things in this episode that they spent time on that they really didn't need to. And they could have done this. I mean. Just, you know, again, not to be the book police, like this scene was used completely differently for another character, whatever. Mm -hmm. Fuck, Um, I'll be the book police on this. This pissed me off. (laughs) I understand why they were trying to do this. I understand that the Dark One is trying to entice Rand and he's trying to entice him to the dark side. And he's saying, hey, look, you can have everything you've ever wanted. But this scene could have been done in like 15 seconds. The reason they did this, and I think we all have to stop making excuses for why they do things. The reason they did this is because they needed someone to show Rand how to channel. Because they would have had to put in something where he felt his life was threatened otherwise. So they had this scene where the Dark One could walk up and be like, oh, this could be yours. Just look at the baby and think really hard about wanting the baby. And then he starts (laughs) channeling. And it's just this really, really shitty way. Regardless of if you read the books, you didn't read the books, you thought this battle was going to be something different than him being tempted by something he knows is obviously fake. And then him learning to channel. And then him deciding instead to channel into this statue. So Angriel, don't fucking work that way. (laughs) Like, this is the thing that pissed me off the most about the rule changes in this. So Angriel, you don't channel into them and they don't get stronger. Essentially... Imagine if you were a male magic user or a female magic user. It doesn't fucking matter. Imagine what you really are as a hose. And you can only have so much water flow through you. An angriel or a saangriel make your hose wider so more can flow through you. It's not that you channel into it and it makes it stronger and then you basically shoot it like a fucking gun. Like, it's just so maddening to watch them change things. So that they can have like this completely different warped ending that makes no goddamn sense. And that's the other thing they did here. Because they changed the eye of the world so much 
It's clear that this is some sort of trick to break this Quendalar, Quendiar, however they say it, which is essentially something we'll find out later, like what really happened there, because they were tricked into breaking this thing, because this wasn't actually the last battle. And it's just like, okay, cool, this makes no fucking sense. It Like, the whole thing fails because the dream sequence, the temptation thing, you can expedite it super quickly if Rand has a fucking brain. Like, you have to bring this thing in where he gets taught how to channel so he can decide, okay, I'm just going to channel into the Sa'angril and then think the last battle is over. And it's just like, everything about it doesn't work. And this brings me over to camera too. And I know this is sexy sounds, but I'm not happy this time. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we are, Rafe. End of season one. And in order to make changes, which are significantly more boring than the ending we already had in the books, you had to make all of these characters dumb. And this bothers me. And I want to say something up front in What the Fuck Rave. Of the 14 books in this series, this ending was my least favorite of all of them. I mentioned last episode I'm excited to see where this ending's going to go because I'd like to see it changed a little bit. And sure enough, it was changed, but the way you changed it is to make Moraine fucking clueless about what was happening. She had no idea what the eye of the world was. She had no idea how the battle was going to go. She legitimately thought this was going to be the last battle. Significant changes to who she is from the book. And we have this happen to have yet another red herring in the show to say, oh, this wasn't really the last battle. Like, that's going to be the thing that we hang on until next season. It's lazy, and it's stupid storytelling, and most importantly, it's entirely unnecessary. It has me more burnt out than Lord Agomar's sister. Who, by the way, again, a character who we didn't really have in the books, shows up just to die. <laughs> Another cliche that we're continuously running into this whole season. This is a choice to make the show worse. It could be so much better... You don't have to keep changing things for no fucking reason. It's not more palatable for a larger audience to take an actual climax at the end of this season or the end of the books, make it stupid and boring, and make the characters stupid and boring. What the fuck, Rafe? That was oh, a that was a spicy what the fuck that you said. It really was. <laughs> I, I agree with you here, Adam. I think, like, the problem I feel like with this episode is that they know that there's going to be a season two. And so they're pushing in and they're putting on all these little sprinkly things that they're like, well, what's that? What's that? What's that? We're going to find out more in season two. And the idea I think that they're, they're trying to do here is they're trying to entice the watcher to watch season two. But the problem is when you do this too much that I don't care anymore. Like if I didn't yeah. read the books, I would be like, well, I don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. I don't know the significance of this. So why should I care? I don't think anyone's enticed from this. This is like if you go to pick up someone at the bar, you're like, hey, can I buy you a drink? And you just throw it in their fucking face. And you're like, ah, you said you wanted a drink, right? It's like, this is not enticing. This is annoying. And yeah. I hate it so much. I, I, I mean, the word enticing is so interestingly used right now for the three of us because you're right. We got an ending here, but but who gives a fuck what Rand's doing? He's walking away. Moraine is the only one who's kind of on a cliffhanger. Nobody's in mortal peril. We don't know where the fuck Matt is. Is there any reason why anybody should go continue? Like, oh, Pat and Fane took something. Right. And Season here's two. Moraine's cliffhanger for me, too. Is like, she's either stilled 
and she can never she can never channel again or she's shielded mm -hmm. and the fact she doesn't know the difference makes me want to throw my fucking tv through the wall <laughs> it's like okay so now she's just as ignorant of a channeler as rand is it's like she doesn't know the difference like what the fuck is happening and like i get that at some point they discover in the books like you can tie off a shield rather than hold it mm -hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that she should be able to recognize the difference between being stilled and being shielded and she doesn't she's fucking clueless at the end of this she's just like what the dark one did to me blah 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 and it's just are you fucking kidding me like so this is going to be tension are you going to erase this immediately next season are you going to make us sit through multiple episodes of peter petrelli not having his fucking powers <laughs> like in heroes season two because i will jesus, lose my fucking mind jesus christ it all comes back to heroes do the writers strike again for this show um so i i think to kind of summarize here a little bit like what are the strands so to speak if we're going to talk about you know wheel of time and weaving that we're left with so we know that the horn of valley or which we're supposed to care about for some reason has been stolen so they got to get that in season two, right? The second thing is we know that Moraine, for some reason, has been shielded or stilled or whatever. So we got to resolve that because their most powerful channeler, their leader, is not channeling. Rand has left. He's the dragon. We got to figure out what the hell's going on there. And then we have to figure out what a Quendiar is and why that's important. Mm -hmm. The problem here is, like, if we knew what a Quendiar was, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's actually really interesting. But they don't introduce us to what it is. And so, like, no one has any reason to care about this, like, white rock that magically appeared in Moraine's hand. And Moran, or Moran, <laughs> Moraine knows Ship it, love it. what that is. She knows what she's standing on in the book. And because they've made her so dumb in this, it's like, oh, we're waiting for another big reveal of information she could have just readily spit out like she spat out all that other shit also when they open the case to the horn of valir it better be a shoehorn for how much they shoehorn <laughs> bullshit in this show <laughs> you guys aren't wrong like why, why do i was why would we give a shit so about anything going into season two knowing that these are the these are the threads that we have to go along with i was brought to such a high place by episode seven and so i had so far to fall they should have just played the cold open of uh Rand's mom beating the shit out of all those guys like six times in a row and i would have been like that was a pretty solid episode everyone anyways <laughs> bye yeah all right so we're all happy as you can hear i'll go first on as to how i feel overall I've been optimistic this entire season and I'm going to still try to remain optimistic. The problem is, is that I was raging against episode one at not raging. I shouldn't say that. Like I was, I was intrigued. There was a lot of stuff that I was like, what the hell is going on here? But I was like, well, we have seven more of these to go through. So who knows it, anything can happen. This will look good. And I'm not, I'm again, I'm not like book police as much as the average person in general, but I will say that in as far as storytelling, I just didn't think this was good. This was so disjointed when we said it a lot. We're left with what's going to happen next to our traveling adventurers. Who gives a shit though? I don't think anything was set up properly to make us excited about coming back to season two. We are going to watch season two and we're going to probably do this shit all over again but let's hope that it's not this episode that we have to have eight more times for eight more years. I'm just not happy with it right now, but I'm also going to stay optimistic through the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, this episode didn't feel like a season finale to me, I think is the problem. I felt like there should be one more episode or something else to explain some of the stuff that's happening to then set up for a second season. But you're right, I think this is poor storytelling here, and I don't feel connected to the characters, I don't feel connected to their motivations and to the threads that have been given to us for the next season, um, which is why I think I'm so disappointed, because I thought like, 
you know, again, this is not about the being a book police. This is just, like you said, Garrett, like storytelling issues. Um, which is why, like, you know, a lot of the other episodes, even though I was like sometimes like, oh, that didn't happen in the books, whatever, I was still very excited because I felt like there was something being set up that was interesting. And this episode, I think, fell flat of that. Yeah, I agree with the both of you. It is very disappointing. And I think I let myself get my hopes up a little bit too much because I knew uh, the potential that this episode could have had. And I think that's probably the exact same way I felt when I watched episode one, knowing of the things that uh, I was about to to see and seeing them be so different and so flat uh, and the characters also being flat. And like realistically looking at it from the perspective like you guys both just mentioned, what am I excited for in season two? Like what thread am I excited to see? The only thing I'm excited to see realistically is the new actor playing Matt and see how that whole thing plays out. I just want to know like, okay, cool. You guys moved him to Tarvalon for some reason. Why? How's that going to work? Um, <laughs> there's just so much disjointed and broken, quite frankly, when it comes to the storytelling. Like, I don't even know how any of this shit's going to play out. You know, at this mm-hmm. point, like one of my favorite things reading was about Rand and Lan. Like, I loved the way that they interacted with each other, that Lan took him under his wing to teach him how to do things. Some of my favorite scenes between the two of those characters come in book two. I don't think those are ever going to happen. No, I think that that relationship has been thrown in the fucking garbage, like so much things that had potential because they just decided that they knew better. And what I think is that I just watched uh, season one of Rafe Judkins' Wheel of Time because it's certainly fucking not Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, and it bothers me, and uh, I'm disappointed. I'm not excited for season two. And I will be watching the entire off-season to see whether or not the show gets canceled, which I don't think it will because it has 1.3 billion minutes watched. It's the number one show on Amazon. And it's just like, okay, cool. Like, that doesn't mean it's good. Like, there's certain parts where it has such potential. But I think if things are going to go well in the future, it's going to be one of those series where you tell people, like, yeah, dude, just get through season one. (laughs) Like, that's the best you can hope for. Like, just get through season one, and then it gets really good in season two. Because I I don't know if I was watching this brand new I'd never read Wheel of Time like the most disappointing thing to me was sitting down with Robin Grace watching episode one having her go like yeah it's not bad it's not good and she didn't give a fuck about episode two not one bit mm-hmm. and she was like okay cool and I'm like yeah it should be great that's what bothers me it should be great and it's just not so uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's the best way I can put it right now I give it three and a half size out of five. <laughs> <sighs> So much like the brief amount of time that it was in the epilogue, I would only want to briefly acknowledge the epilogue. This actually might have been the only thing that's like, what the hell is that? I will watch to check this out. This is a group of people called the Shanshin. They have female channelers and they are a people of not of this continent. They sailed across the sea to defeat one little girl. So they're going to turn around and fly the mission accomplishment on their way home. They did it. They did it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I am actually kind of curious to see what's going on with them. I know the storyline that's going to happen with them, and it's uh, not a fun one in my opinion, but we'll see. Anyway, uh, listener, thank you for being here for the season. Next week, we're going to do an overall season thoughts and impressions. On the whole, it'll be just what we thought in general and what we hope for. We also have actually been asked um, kind of a lot to talk about the spoilery stuff that we are trying to shield everybody from the non the non uh, or the uh, uninitiated from so i think we're probably going to end the episode next week and then also at the very end have like maybe 10 15 minutes of just like legit spoilery shit like we did uh a couple episodes ago 
so the people who want to hear it can have that. And even if you don't care, you can listen to it as well. And speaking of spoilery stuff, the other thing too is I kind of teased it last episode, but we do want to have listener comments or questions or just thoughts and feelings that they want to have expressed as well. So you do need to write in for those. You can either do the contact us on the websites, which are towatsatwats.com or the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com or Wheel of Time Podcast.com. Send us something on Twitter. We also have Instagram. We also have TikTok, I think. I don't know how that works. I don't know if you can comment on this. All at Wheel of Time Pod. And uh, we want to hear from you. You can contact us uh, on all those platforms that Garrett mentioned, but you can also chat with us on our website at twatsatwats.com. There you will also find our lovely reviews if you um, so choose. And you can also um, see some of us on our About Us page. All right, listener, thank you so much for your time. You have uh, only so much to give and you gave it to us. So we are very appreciative. We love you. And a few weeks ago on my sign off, I said Rafe ruined Adam's life. But I actually think that this week Rafe ruined Adam's life. Yeah. He killed my heart and soul today. Thanks, Rafe. Thanks, Rafe. What the fuck?